0: Hello, welcome to the Grow Your Wealthy Mindset Podcast, where it is all about helping amazing physicians just like you create a wealthy life, free from burnout, and with the financial security to practice medicine on your own terms. I'm your host, Dr. Elisa John. Welcome back to another episode of the Grow Your Wealthy Mindset Podcast. This is going to be a different episode from previous episodes. The topic is tipping, which really has nothing to do with building your wealth, but does have a lot to do with mindset around money. The word tip was first used as a verb in 1707 in George Foucault's play, The Beau Strategia. Foucault used the term after it had been, quote, used in criminal circles as a word meant to imply the unnecessary and gratuitous gifting of something somewhat taboo, like a joke or a short bet or illicit money exchanges, end quote. The custom of tipping began in Europe among the aristocracy. Tipping started with a master that may give a servant extra money for having performed superbly well. The practice was introduced to America from Europe in the 1850s by Americans who wanted to seem more aristocratic. Tipping was promoted as a means to establish social status. It was seen as inconsistent with the values of an egalitarian democratic society, and six American states passed laws that made tipping illegal. Of course, enforcement of anti-tipping laws was problematic. By 1926, each of the states that banned the practice of tipping had rescinded those rules. People like George Pullman made tipping more a part of American culture. George Pullman founded the Pullman Company in 1859 and started operating luxury sleeping cars on the country's growing network of railways. In 1868, Pullman began hiring Black men, most of them former slaves, to serve as porters. He paid them poorly, but encouraged wealthy passengers of those luxury sleeping cars to leave the porter's tips. The introduction of prohibition in the United States in 1919 had an enormous impact on hotels and restaurants, who lost revenue of selling alcoholic beverages. The resulting financial pressure caused proprietors to welcome tips as a way of supplementing employee wages. Previously, the occupation of a waiter or server was fairly well paid prior to when tipping became more of the norm. In 1938, President Roosevelt signed the Fair Labor Standards Act, which established the first minimum wage, which back then was $0.25 per hour. There was no minimum wage for tipped wages, which effectively meant that Congress codified the tipping practice. A minimum wage for tipped workers wouldn't pass until 1966. According to the Council of Economic Advisors, 98% of customers at full-service restaurants leave a tip. Americans leave more money for restaurant servers than any other country. I remember when I was younger, a good tip at a restaurant was around 15%. Then at some point, it crept up to 18%. And now it seems like 20% is the norm, or maybe it's even 22%. I've been to restaurants that add on a mandatory 22% tip and then leave a space for you to add more tip when they bring you the bill. Since tipping is on percentage of the food and drinks in restaurants, I'm really not sure why the percentage has gone up with time, since the price of food and drink itself has gone up with inflation. When I Googled about the rate of tipping, the answer I got was, quote, during the 1950s, people commonly tipped 10% of the bill. By the 1970s and 1980s, the percentage had jumped to 15%. In 2023, people typically tip anywhere from 15 to 25%. End quote. So that's been very much in line with my own personal experience. Cornell University's School of Hotel Administration professor, Michael Lynn, has said that the social pressure will make ending tipping culture virtually impossible, which means that the polite percentage could continue to increase indefinitely. Why am I talking about tipping and is tipping really a problem? The idea for an episode about tipping came as I was preparing the episode on being frugal versus being cheap. In that episode, I offered that it was cheap to spend less at the detriment of someone else, like leaving a low or no tip for otherwise good service. However, I'm personally not a fan of tipping culture. I don't tend to carry much cash, much less small bills to tip porters at hotels. And the most common place for tipping is the restaurant, Which is made easier by adding it to the credit card payment. Having recently returned from traveling in Iceland, which has a no tipping culture, I was happy to not have to think about how much to tip. The United States is an outlier among developed nations as one of the only countries that allow businesses to offload the burden of paying workers a fair wage to their customers. In 1966, the lowest amount that a company could pay a tipped employee per hour was set at $2.13 $2.13 by federal standards, and remains at that value to this day, nearly 30 years later. 43 states maintain different minimum wages for tipped and non-tipped employees. In my home state of Ohio, as of January 1st of 2023, Ohio's minimum wage is $10.10 per hour for non-tipped employees. Under Ohio law, for tipped employees, the minimum wage is one-half of the state's minimum wage, or currently $5.05 per hour, plus tips. Tipping contributes to inequality in the workplace. It can cause large compensation discrepancies between the front end and the back end of restaurants. On a busy Saturday night, the wait staff may be celebrating their high earnings through tips, while the kitchen staff, who also worked hard all night, don't share in the increased wages from tips. There have been some changes to attempt to remedy this situation. A 2018 amendment to the Federal Fair Labor Standards Act Legalized unlocked tip pooling, allowing gratuities to be split between front and back of house workers in most states, as long as the entire staff is paid a full minimum wage. This gives the opportunity of equalizing earnings between the front and back of the house without eliminating tipping. However, unlocked pooling remains illegal under New York state law, even after the national statutory change, as well as in a few other states. There are also some other problems that can come with this, which I'll discuss later. Tipping reflects and amplifies racial inequity. Medium hourly tips are less for minority workers compared to white workers. There was a study that looked at median hourly tips from 2010 to 2016. And for white workers, they earn $7.06 per hour compared to $6.08 an hour for Latinx workers, $5.57 for Black workers, and $4.77 for Asian workers. One straightforward explanation for why white servers earn higher tips than servers of color is that they are disproportionately employed at fine dining restaurants. A 2015 study by ROC United analyzed U.S. Census current population surveys, examining 133 fine dining restaurants. They found that white people make up 55% of all restaurant servers, but compromise 78% of the total number of servers in fine dining restaurants. Fine dining servers are much more likely to be men, while women make up 52% of restaurant workers as a whole, they represent only 43% of fine dining front-of-house workers, leading to gender discrepancies between servers. Workers in casual dining restaurants have to work nine times harder than those in fine dining to reach the standard minimum wage turning four tables per hour versus 0.2 tables. Servers themselves also have racial bias. Quote, there is a good amount of evidence that indicates that some servers do stereotype, end quote, states Zachary Brewster, a sociology professor at Wayne State University and the author of multiple studies on racial profiling in restaurants. Due to the perceived anticipation of lower tips from Black customers, servers may avoid waiting on Black customers or provide them with less or slower service. In one 2012 study, Brewster studied 200 servers from a bar and grill type style restaurant. He asked the servers about their perceptions of Black diners and whether they've seen discriminatory behavior by other employees. Most respondents admitted to providing different levels of service based on diners' race and witnessing another server do so, at least, quote, sometimes. End quote. Research does show that black diners appear to tip less than white diners by roughly three percentage points, but the reasons around this is probably nuanced. It may be that black diners have less exposure to dining out or are less familiar with what's considered an appropriate amount to tip. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics expenditure data, Black households spend an average of $2,228 on food away from home in 2016, compared to $3,243 from white households. It's also unclear about how much of that money is spent at fast food type restaurants where tipping is less normal versus casual restaurants or fine dining restaurants where tipping is more the norm. Tipping creates a power dynamic in which servers adopt a mentality that the customer is always right. Servers are essentially working for the diners who pay the majority of their income through tips, and not actually really working for their employer who's paying them a low minimum wage. Both male and female servers working for tip minimum wage states report higher rates of sexual harassment as well. Tipping can lead to the exploitation of servers. This includes not paying for overtime work, failing to properly distribute tips, and withholding paychecks. While tip pooling can promote equity by allowing distribution of tips to back-end workers, it can also lead to restaurant owners keeping a portion of that tip revenue, which also further exploits servers. Tipping also causes wage instability for obvious reasons. A server doesn't know how much they would receive in tips in a given shift. Due to these ethical issues, New York City restaurateur Danny Mayer, made the radical move of eliminating tipping as restaurants in 2015. He raised menu prices and stated that he was factoring in a fair living wage into a, quote, hospitality included, end quote, policy. He wasn't the first to do this, but he got a lot of publicity around this decision. And others joined this movement. By 2016, more restaurants were moving towards a no tipping policy. An American Express survey released May 2016 found that of 503 randomly sampled restaurants, 18% reported that they had already adopted a no-tipping policy. 29% said they planned to do the same. And 17% said that they would consider implementing no-tipping if others did. Unfortunately, the no-tipping movement and many restaurants have returned to gratuity by 2018. In 2000, After the start of the COVID pandemic, Danny Mayer ended his no-tipping policy at his restaurants. In an interview, he said that he still believed that tipping contributes to inequitable pay, wage instability, and other problems, and that he was collaborating with the National One Fair Wage Campaign to eliminate it. But during the pandemic, as restaurants were rehiring, since about 95% of the staff had been laid off in March 2020, he said that he was unwilling to deny any extra compensation that might be available to employees in this time of economic crisis. Quote, we don't know how often people will be eating out. We don't know what they are going to be willing to pay. We do know that guests want to tip generously right now. End quote. Another restaurateur in New York, Mike Fadham, opened Brunswick Pizzeria as a service-inclusive establishment in Brooklyn, New York, in October 2016. He had the challenge of determining the, quote, right, end quote, price of pizza, one that factored in gratuity, but also didn't cause guests to not buy pizza because of the higher prices. Unfortunately, the issue is really the guest perception of value. Mike Fadham said, quote, In Brooklyn especially, I don't believe it's possible to charge the correct price to make tip-free work, end quote. He said, quote, people are happy to pay $25 for a pizza if it's $20 plus tip, but if the menu reads $25 for a pizza, you're looked at as ripping people off, even if it's the right price for the cost of getting the food to the table, end quote. What he did was he kept the cost of pizza comparable and adjusted the pricing of the wine. However, the restaurant was still unprofitable in 2019, and so he abandoned being gratuity-free. In December 2020, a new law was passed that Governor Andrew Cuomo's office described as, quote, the end of the sub-minimum wage, end quote. The decision was announced to be based on the findings of the State Department of Labor that tipping is disproportionately harmful to the lowest-paid workers in the state, women, minorities, and immigrants. Although the law applies to nail salon workers, dog groomers, and many others, restaurant workers, which are the largest group of tipped employees in New York State, are exempt. I'm not sure what it would take to decrease the tipping culture in the United States. I feel like it's becoming even more present since the pandemic, rather than less. There seem to be tip jars appearing in places where there weren't tip jars in the past. And there are display screens for payments asking to leave a tip sometimes with rather large percentages as the different default options. Tipping can be an emotional decision. Some people tip regularly for all kinds of services. Some people rarely tip. And some people feel guilty about leaving a low tip, not knowing what appropriate tip would actually be. I know that I went whitewater rafting several years ago, and I just didn't even think about having a bunch of extra cash in order to tip my guide. So in the end, we gave what we had, but it was far less than 20% of the cost of the rafting trip, which the rafting trip itself was actually quite expensive. So I'm not even sure if it is appropriate to tip 20% of the full rafting trip or 15% or 10%. You know, at the time, I did feel like someone guilty and someone uncertain, all about the fact that I really had no idea how much the whitewater rafting guides were paid and how much that money would actually mean to them. My own opinion is that no worker should have to rely on tipping to be paid a livable wage. I would prefer that no tipping be the norm and that tips were really only given when there's truly exceptional service. As I said in the beginning, this has been a different kind of episode, one that looks at money in a different light. To me, it's all about examining our mindsets around money. Let me know if you enjoy this episode. You can email me at growyourwealthymindset@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening all the way to the end. If you made it this far, I would love if you could take the time to leave a five-star review for the Grow Your Wealthy Mindset podcast. And tune in next week for another episode of the Grow Your Wealthy Mindset podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I would love it if you could share it with your friends and colleagues. And now for the disclaimer, I am not a certified financial planner, accountant, or attorney. And nothing I say should be construed as professional investment, tax, or legal advice. This show is primarily for your education and entertainment. I am a physician, but I'm probably not your physician. So if you need any medical advice, please contact your own physician. Thank you.